Welcome to Drop the Subject on Channel Q. I'm pulling out my radio voice right now. How do you like that? It's so it's so obnoxious and horrible. I'm kidding. <laughs> Welcome to Drop the Subject on Channel Q. Hi, Allie Johnson. Well, I have never been happier to see this big bald head in front of me right now <laughs> with your grown-in goat. You've grown out your goatee. We haven't seen each other in... A couple of, what has it been, weeks, months? About six weeks, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it feels like an eternity, and I'm very glad that we can be on the airwaves together because, you know, people have been asking since our last Drop the Subject show when we would be back together again, and, you know, people have enough to be going through right now in 2020, so it's important that for the people, (laughs) we resume our chitty chats. I I agree 100% for the people, for the people. And we are here for you. In fact, this is going to be a little bit of a rejiggering of of drop the subject, if you will. We're doing this weekly now. Uh, And for now, we're on Fridays. You're listening to us live on Friday and we'll stick around here. And guess what? It's I suppose it's technically drop the same drop the same drop the subject with Dr. James Simmons. Working title. Which means work at working title, right? Which means we get to talk a lot about health stuff, which is fantastic. And the focus is always going to be on you, our listener. And so whether you're listening to this live or this will also be, of course, downloaded as a podcast, we definitely want this to be a conversation. So I promise I won't drone on forever and ever always about health, even though I feel like I could. But you'll have a little pop culture You'll have a little really interesting topical conversation about what's going on in the world, a lot of health, and of course, a lot of you. We want to hear from you. We will definitely dedicate some time every single show to answering your questions and talking about the health things you want to talk about, and in particular, the health aspects that are important for us, our LGBTQIA plus community. Did I get all the letters in, I think? Snaps, snaps, snaps. I have actually a long list since we've seen each other. My wife has been, uh, hey, will you ask James about uh, insert weird growth on my foot here? Um, (laughs) Perfect. That's what I'm here for. Hey, there's a weird thing going on in my throat. Can you ask Dr. James? So um, if if, without further ado, I just with at the top of the list. Uh Uh-huh. Please. um, Fire away. Katie has a tonsil stone. And she's had it apparently Ouch. for like a year. And the, she went to a doctor and they said, you have to go to a specialist, a tonsil person. And then she went to the tonsil person and they say, we need to take your tonsils out. Um, is that BS? Are they just trying to get money out of her? What do you say? <laughs> I actually don't think, I mean, if, if you're going to bring up money, I don't think paying uh, tonsillectomies pay much anymore. So oh, I don't really? Think ear, yeah. I don't think the ear, nose and throat surgeons are like jumping up and down and do a bunch of tonsillectomies because it's not like they're making, you know, huge bank from doing it. However, tonsillectomies in adults are a little bit dangerous, Allie. They're oh, a little bit more dangerous no. in adults than they are in kiddos. Like it, it tends to be a much more complicated surgery because you're by the time you're an adult, there's so much blood flow there. And your tonsils have just really dug in and like found their permanent home that removing them is a little bit riskier as an adult than it is as a kid. So it could end up being like an aerial situation where she can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because I'm actually still not opposed to this. I'm just going (laughs) to. How have you been? Because, I mean, obviously, we're on a second lockdown right here in Southern California. Um, We are in lockdown number two, and I'm seeing a whole lot less of. 
uh, the fun at home videos. I think people are really over it at this point. Um, it's not time. like, yeah, let me try and do soccer with the t- with a roll of toilet paper. They're just like, uh Everyone's over everyone's it. over it. Yeah. But you are in the trenches. You are there. And you were telling me before we hopped on that, you know, you, you're seeing 25, 26 patients a day and at least half of them are COVID. How are you even holding up with with seeing people not staying at home when they're supposed to be and then having to deal with this every day at the hospital? It's it's uh, it's a lot, to, to be honest. And, I, you know, I think there's something that's really magical that happens with with I think nurses have this in spades, but a lot of healthcare professionals is we have this ability, a lot of us to, to sort of compartmentalize and you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to go to work and practice and do the best that you can and take care of people with this stupid, crazy, awful virus that is so bad. And we have only so many ways to take care of someone. Um, and, and then, so unfortunately I'm seeing a lot of people die and I'm seeing a lot of really critically ill people. And a lot of them are younger, uh, than they were, you know, kind of the first time around this spring and summer. And so it's really disheartening. I have been, you know, I have to give big props to Chris, uh, my partner, who has been really, really great about making sure that I take some self-care time, um, that he, you know, distracts me very well when I come home. And, you know, we try to sit outside and make our outside sort of feel like a, a little resort getaway kind of thing. But it's hard and it's really frustrating too when people aren't taking this seriously and everyone you know, is saying things like, oh, the death rate is only one or 2%, so it's fine. Like yep. we shouldn't even get vaccinated against something that's one or 2%. But if you do the math, one or 2% is millions of Americans. And so yeah. hearing that BS all the time and trying to combat that on social media and media and the otherwise is really frustrating. So, uh, but thank you for asking. I'm hanging in there. I've lost 10 pounds. Hey. Intentionally. Oh, okay. <laughs> Intentionally. Like, like on not purpose. Not from like, like being so sad and like, not, not eating. Okay. <laughs> from like not eating. Good reasons. No, no, no. All right. No, no, well, no. I took your very 10 pounds, so we're even. Okay. Very good. I We will talk about what you did exactly with those 10 pounds. Um, when we come back, we have a lot more going on in the show. It's going to be fantastic. An interview with Brandon Kyle Goodman, who is a writer on Netflix's Big Mouth, amazing, who has a new trans character uh, as well. But next, we debunk some vaccine myths. Don't go anywhere. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. All right, welcome back to Drop the Subject with Dr. James on Channel Q. And my good pal, Allie Johnson, is here. Allie, say hi to the kids. Hello. Hello, kids. So, health, obviously, focus of this. Ask the NP. This is what we do. And there's, I don't know, there's this little thing called COVID going on. I'm pretty sure that folks listening have heard of this. And everyone has been wishing and hoping and praying and waiting for this vaccine so that we can go back to some sort of, I'm using finger quotes, normal, which I don't think we are ever, ever, ever going to go back to, by the way. I think our lives are completely changed for forever. But the thing that will get us back to being able to maybe hug grandma without a mask on, maybe by this time next year, is a vaccine. And there is a lot of myths, truths, and misinformation going on about this vaccine, Allie, and we are here to debunk them for you. Well, uh, when I was reading about some of the first people that were getting the vaccine, of course, it's all like, you know, a a lady in Britain who's like 97 years old or like some guy named William Shakespeare who's 700 (laughs) years old. Wasn't that great? 
And they're just like, all right, let's just give it to, you know, the classic example of a person who would really need it first, right? Yeah. And I I was thinking in my mind, wouldn't it be freaking awesome if she just, it was like some the beginning of a superhero comic where it's just, just like all of a sudden she was radioactive or like <laughs> that she was this superhero grandma and like all of the old people that get it are just like, like can break. <laughs> She turned into like the Hulk and Spider-Man and yeah, Wonder Woman and like, like this super group inside of one grandma body. <laughs> That's kind of what I was hoping for. But uh-huh. I, I know that and I know you have some myths that you want to debunk that there were some people that already were having allergic reactions because um, they would have any other aller- allergic reaction to like the flu shot or some mm. kind of mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a ma- you know when you have really really bad allergies and you can't take some vaccines and can't take some flu shots they are running into that with this one yeah they are so there you know there there have been two people in the UK where now thousands of people have gotten the vaccine two people have had allergic reactions and I think it's really important to differentiate between and if we do- get to like no other myths at all, all day today, this please take this away, that those of you who are listening. There's a difference between side effects, which are reactions that your body will have to the vaccine that we want your body to have, even if they're a little bit unpleasant, and adverse reactions. There's a big difference between those two. And I think semantics are important here. So there were a couple of people, quite literally two, who had a bad adverse reaction. They had a big allergic reaction to this. They've had allergic reactions to different types of vaccines in the past. They both also are allergic to apparently like everything. Like these are the people who are running around with like asthma inhalers. They're like, I can't eat that. I can't touch that. I'm super allergic. So in those individuals who have an overactive immune response anyway, which is what allergies are, we're not surprised that they had an allergic reaction to this. Almost everyone else, the majority, 51% plus, are having these wicked side effects. And I think it's really important for everyone to get prepared for this, get ready. It's a little wicked when you get the vaccine. People get the shot and you feel like crap for at least today. You get a headache, fever, chills, muscle pain. You're super tired. The fatigue is is really intense. But guess what? We actually want that to happen. That means your your immune system is kicked into overdrive and she's doing all her computations and she's doing all of the things she needs to do to figure out how to prepare to fight coronavirus should you get it. That's literally the point of the vaccine. And could some of these side effects come later on? That's what some people are afraid of is, okay, if I take it now and everything's fine, and then in five years when my eyeballs disappear, I'm going to be a little upset that I took the vaccine. Is there concern there? How do you know that that's not going to happen? We don't really have that concern. We we don't know. So I have to I have to answer your question completely honestly. We don't know that at all. We do not know if people are are gonna not grow a third arm here. Uh, you know, in I mean, seven, again, seven I'd and a half years. I'd be fine with it. Yeah, I, I think so too. I Ever also worked in restaurants again with three arms. You know how unstoppable <laughs> I'd be. You'd be a beast. You're like, yeah, I'll take that entire section as well. Thank you. Twenty thousand martinis. Here you go. <laughs> here, here you go. Uh, we listen. The technology that we have with vaccines, I, I want to remind people, we're we're very good at vaccines as a species. We've been doing vaccines for a long time. Vaccines themselves are not new to us. Also, this mRNA technology, this new technology doesn't need 
the same preservatives as other vaccines have doesn't need like the formaldehyde and all the weird stuff that used to be in like old vaccines. You also don't need active virus. This is a very sort of categorically different thing. And we've been working on this mRNA technology for a really, really long time. So we don't anticipate any sort of weird side effects from this at all. Immediately, you're going to have the, I feel like crap side effects, but the adverse events, your eyeballs popping out, your growing of your third arm, we don't really anticipate that popping up at all. Is there a guarantee? No, we've never done this before. But I, what I do guarantee is that the side effects from this, and I think the risk for anyone is far less for the vaccine than it is getting COVID. For COVID. Yeah, right. 100%. And I hate to sort of leave you on such a morbid, like break it down moment. But if I can break it down for you at all, like I promise you for the the number of people I'm seeing who are sick, who are young, who are dying in the hospitals right now, I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm being accused of that a lot lately. Hmm. Uh, I'm just delivering the truth. And so because I love y'all and I love this community and I love everyone listening, honestly, like it's why I do what I do. Wear your mask. Be okay with being a little bit locked down. Stay away from folks for just a few more months. We are almost there. And there will be more Drop the Subject when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Dr. James on Channel Q. So we have a little segment that we're going to do every week in this show to continue the conversation about racial social justice initiatives, conversations, aspects, things that we need to keep working on moving forward. And there is absolutely no better human being on earth for us to have this conversation with than Dr. John Paul Higgins, who is a speaker, writer, social justice educator. You have seen them everywhere. If you haven't seen them, you're under a rock. NBC News, BuzzFeed, Vox, et cetera, et cetera. TED Talks, Out Magazine, Them Magazine, Sci-Fi Wire, The Root, The Daily Dot. I could go on, but we are so excited that Dr. John Paul is here back with us to get our education on. Dr. John Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, it's so good to be back. (laughs) It is amazing and lovely to have you back. So listen, what I wanted to talk about this week was something very, very interesting. Uh, You know, there there are lots of things that have gone viral and on Twitter and what these things happen all the time, but I thought this was really kind of unique and interesting. There is a couple of PSAs. There's also a part of this episode of Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. And one of the teachers like snaps off about racism in the classroom, in textbooks, in education, in and how this is continuing to be perpetuated and taught. Um, and so I actually, before we go any further, <clears throat> I want to take a quick listen to this so the listeners can get caught up on what I'm talking about. These textbooks are incomplete. There were black Roman warriors, black medieval knights, black classical musicians, black cowboys, black fighter pilots. Where are they? I worry about you humans because you only live, what, about a hundred years? You rely on these stories to know your own history. Thanks to systemic racism, most of your storytellers prioritize white accomplishments, which leaves you with an incomplete picture. Ask yourself, is your learning history? Who's telling the story? Was this modified to make white readers comfortable? Are major details being left out that would credit people of color and center their point of view? Okay, so she breaks it down there very, very much so. And I, you as an ed- educator in particular, I sort of wanted to get your thoughts about this and you know how this really happens in the classroom and how can we start fixing this? Yeah, so it's just so interesting to me because I think what we're actually talking about is this idea of um, 
the real history being kind of removed from the actual curriculum. So I think it's very interesting that Unfinished did something this past week um, where they were talking about the questions that we should be asking. And this conversation came up, right? What are the right questions? How do we kind of navigate those questions? And I think one of the biggest conversations has been is that we continue to keep looking at the history of this country and we're trying to remove so much of it. And we're utilizing this element that history should repeat itself and and I think a lot of folks are saying, no, history shouldn't repeat itself. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest issue is a lot of folks believe that the history that, you know, is being taught in the classroom is the right history to be learned. But when we remove things from that history, right, we, we can't learn from it. We can't move on from it. We can't change it. And so I think that's ultimately what Cartoon Network is saying with this video is they're saying that, you know, with this notion that these textbooks are incomplete, With us removing the history, how can we teach our students, our children, the importance of being anti-racist? How can we teach them about unconscious bias? How can we teach them culturally that what they're learning or what they need to know in this world could potentially be problematic, right? Like what 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 are we genuinely saying about that? And so I think that that's what Cartoon Network is really getting at, right? That a part of the resistance is teaching our youth what the real story is and that ultimately it has the, our books, the way we teach in terms of education has never really done that. It hasn't. And you know, I think it's so funny that this is a a, a Cartoon Network of all places are are right. are doing this and Steven Universe is one of those kind of crossover. I feel like kids watch Steven Universe. It's more kind of for adults. Um, does this do much? I mean, does this, does, does seeing this as a part of an episode, having these PSAs, do you think it's, I mean, is this, is this performative? No, you know, so I don't think it's performative. I think it really is. You know, somebody said, you know, Cartoon Network, uh, you know, has basically has had it. And I think that that's really what it's coming down to is that you have a lot of individuals who sit with these ideologies and, you know, because of where they work or because of what they do, you know, they ultimately feel like they can't do anything. You know, they, they feel like their hands are tied behind their back. But I think what we're finding is we're finding that a lot of people are just tired of these conversations not being had. And I think that a a bigger conversation piece is this, you know, as we were talking about coming into this conversation, something that was, I I, I thought about was this idea that, you know, so many parents, but we don't want our children to learn about the history. We don't want our children learning about this or that. It's a way for them to basically protect themselves and saying, I don't want my children calling me out for being racist. I don't want my children calling me out for being problematic, right? If I can teach my children to not think that they need to learn about this, right? It makes it easier for me to continue to perpetuate what I'm doing. And so I think what's Mm. happening is, is that you have people in these high-end positions, right? You know, they're directly being connected to these children saying, if you're not going to teach it in the classroom, then we'll use our platform to do it. So bravo Cartoon Network. I, I think that they're doing it the right way. Awesome. I agree. Bravo, uh, Cartoon Network as well. We have lots more with Dr. John about this racism in in this racism, all the racism in the classroom. More on Drop the Subject with Dr. James back in less than two minutes. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject on Channel Q with Dr. James. We have Dr. John Paul here, activist, educator, writer, all around fabulosity. And we're talking about, you know, Cartoon Network really dove in and pissing people off on Twitter, which I think was a good thing. You know, everybody gets pissed off on Twitter about some things, but ultimately, had seriously, this is Twitter. <laughs> they ultimately had really good response, though, as well from the, this PSA and this episode of Steven Universe. So there are kind of two different things going on here. There was also a PSA that I thought was really interesting that got at a, a, 
a concept that's really, really difficult for a lot of people to go at. So there was a, a couple of kids and they were getting married and incidentally, or not incidentally, whatever, the two children getting married, both were like male identified kids. Mm-hmm. One was black, one was white. They were getting married. And then another white kid comes up and says, no, you can't get married because black people can't marry white people. And then hero, what's her name from Steven Universe flies in and she's like, hey, kids, stop being racist. And they're like, you know, yay, Steven Universe doesn't want you to be racist. And then still as a part of that PSA, they cut to the after they shoot that. And they're like, okay, everyone, that's a wrap. And then one of the white kids walks away and says, uh, you know, I don't think this really happens. This is the dumbest, you know, uh, acting gig I've ever gotten. And everyone's like, no, just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean that it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Is that the level of discourse, even in adult learning, that you see in the classroom that has to start? Like, do we have to drill back that far to be like, listen, y'all, just because just because you've never been to Abu Dhabi doesn't mean it exists, right? Just because racism right. is not directly impacting you doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist, yeah. And so I think something someone said, you know, to me earlier today, I was actually just in conversation with a friend um, who does some, does some DEI work at a very large organization. Um, they said, you know, one of the things we have to keep in mind is that sometimes people have to think about things from the perspective of others. And oftentimes when you have to take yourself out of your own lived experience to put yourself into someone else's um, that can often feel like more work than what people are wanting to do. And so sometimes it can feel like herding cats, right? This idea that you're trying to get all of the people into the same room to start understanding everyone else's experience and some people being like, I don't want to do it. And I think that that's what's in that, that that's happening, right? Is what we're starting. I think June specifically was a great you know, even though I don't feel like we made a lot of change since June, I feel like there are some companies that have, there are some schools that have done some things, you know, people are trying. I feel like there's still this conversation and this movement that people are trying to do better. I still feel like there's this element though, that there are people who genuinely recognize how much work comes with having to do better and be better. Um, and there are just some folks who genuinely don't have it in their spirit to do it. And so when someone says or makes the statement, I don't think that that, you know, that, that that's real, that that's a, you know, that that has happens, that's an innate way of them basically saying, I don't want to have to Mm. use the emotional capacity to understand how you feel, you know, just because we, and and I liken it to this, and it may land for people and it may not, just because we don't see aliens doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? (laughs) Like, that's the thing that every, so every time someone says, oh, racism is not a thing, it doesn't happen, I'm going, okay, so you could say the same thing about aliens, just because we don't see an alien doesn't mean that they don't exist, but you're so quick to go to church because you believe God is real. Mm. And Oh, you went there. Right. God is real to you. You go to church every Sunday. Right. So, but you've never seen God. You've never walked past. I mean, I know that God is Beyonce, but that's a whole different conversation. for (laughs) That's next week. So, right. So my thing just becomes this, right. I think it becomes this idea of like, you have to actively want to engage in the conversation and lean into it. And I think there are a lot of people who genuinely just don't have the, the, I would say the capacity or the emotional, you know, the uh, emotional space. And I, and I'll say, to an extent, some of it is fair because of COVID and because of all that we're going on, we're going through in this world. But it, it, just because you don't see it, just because you don't experience it, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yep, one hundred percent. Real, really quick. When someone says, "Okay, I'm a white person, I'm gonna believe you that racism exists," often there's this pause of like, "Okay, well, what next?" <laughs> so what, particularly for, you know, I was explaining this on a podcast that I was on the other day as a guest, like, 
okay, white folks, this is a system that you continuously benefit for. It was designed by you to continue to benefit you. And now mm -hmm. that you realize that the system is broken and messed up, y'all have to fix it, not us. That's and it. The, the question they came back with, and you know how I had to educate him about this, but the question they came back was, with was how? Mm -hmm. and I was like, it's actually not my job to teach you that. Now we can, have, we can have a different conversation, <laughs> right? So what would you just say in the last you know, few seconds that we have here? What's that next step for that white person who finally gets woke? Read and read books written by black people, specifically black women and black trans women. That's where you can start. Love it. Awesome. Amazing. Dr. John Paul Higgins, it is always such an amazing pleasure to have you. I know that you are one of the busiest human beings on earth. And for us to be able to pin you down for a few minutes once a week, <laughs> I love it. Let the kids know for those Thank who you. are new to you and what you're doing. Let the kids know where they can find you and learn more about you. You can find me on all the socials by using the handle at Dr. John Paul. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-J-O-N-P-A-U-L. You can also visit me at www.drjohnpaul.com. I love it. More Drop the Subject with Dr. James after this. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Dr. James and my pal, Ali. Johnson is here as well and another one of our pals. Maybe the biggest, brightest, most well-known name in the LGBTQ community and oh someone who I don't know why I just have always liked, not always, not always, just recently, liked to sort of be like, meh, meh, meh I told you so, is Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> and now I feel really bad, Allie. I feel kind of bad because Ellen announced this week that she tested positive for COVID-19, kind of like everybody else. Yeah, and she did it in like a, I'm going to open up my notes on my phone and just write <laughs> this message and then <laughs> screenshot it and throw it up on Instagram. It was just such uh -huh. a... It was just such an interesting way to lie. I was like, not even a crop, not even cropping out the the date and the time. It was just like, nope, nope, immediately writing this and then putting it up. And she said she felt okay. But, you know, my mind immediately went to the staff. I was like, how many staff members do not feel an ounce bad for this person who has COVID right. that are like, oh, cool. So I guess I get to stay. I, and I don't know if they get to stay home or if they have to keep working or what. But well, there's they're pausing production until January because they were in they were in full on live production mode now. Well, live. And I don't know if you've watched, but she's had she has like cardboard cutouts of people and like, yes. And then they have like the virtual screens as mm -hmm. well. And it's like mm -hmm. a bunch of ladies at home like we still love you. And uh, you uh, can't do any wrong. <laughs> We're so naysayers, right? All of that stuff. So, you know, Ellen, who I think thought so many people thought too, she was turning her year around, right? If there was anyone who at least like maybe through August was like maybe having the worst 2020, at least from a celebrity right. standpoint, it was the, Yeah, the worst, like the person who was doing the best and then had the strongest turn of events, you know, like, <laughs> right. and she did buy like a $45 million home. And I think she sold one of her other Montecito, like $80 million. Like it's, she's still fine. She's, she's more than fine. Totally fine. But for somebody to have that bad of a year, that's just been doing gangbusters in all of the years leading up to that. And then on top of it in December, you're like, all right, we've gotten the show back on. 
things are starting to blow over. I had my really crappy opening monologue where I kind of, you know, took some accountability, but not really any at all before moving back on to the show. And like, you know, the staffers are saying that there's celebrities that are canceling left and right. It's harder and harder for them to get on their feet, but sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. And then at the end of the tunnel is COVID. (laughs) I mean, what, what a year. And I, I, but at this point I feel for her. And I think it's because... At the end of the day, this is something that is just, it is serious, right? And you never want, most people do fine. Most people recover from this. Most people don't even get that sick from it. Lots of people don't have symptoms. And hopefully that's the case for everyone else who ever gets COVID ever. Like Ellen shouldn't be treated especially just because she's a celebrity. But there is that little part of me, and maybe it's just because of like who I am. I don't know, where I was like... I couldn't bring myself to like tease Ellen about having COVID, even though I've been sort of like relentless about Ellen, like all year long. I've been like, whatever, all these things going on with Ellen, like your apology was crap. And now you've got the COVID, which is part and parcel of like everyone else in California who seems to be getting. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, there were several degrees. I know that you've got you're in direct contact with people who have COVID every single day. For me, it was like. A friend of a friend of a family member has it. Then like, oh, mm. now a fr- another family member of a family member has it. Now it's like a family member has it or a friend has it, uh, you know, so it's like getting yeah. closer and closer. But the thing I think about with Ellen is um, I feel the most bad. Like, I, I do feel bad for Ellen. I don't want anybody to get COVID. I feel worse for whatever staff member in the contact tracing could potentially be responsible <laughs> for giving Ellen COVID because that person, um, hopefully they will, no one knows who they are and never will know. Um, otherwise, maybe that person will not have a job anymore. I I mean, or... You're the person how do you think who it would be gave the other way? COVID to Ellen DeGeneres. Right. <laughs> maybe that's how that person becomes famous. They're like, <laughs> I, I gave Ellen DeGeneres COVID. But what if Ellen is patient zero? At the Ellen show. Like, what if Ellen got it from, you know, we've been seeing all this Gavin Newsom and all these like, uh, you know, politicians and celebrities and all these other things. Rita Ora, who I love, had a huge birthday party in the UK a couple of weeks ago and got totally blasted on social media as she should have. Like, just because you're famous doesn't mean you can't follow the rules. Now, knowing what we know about Ellen. I don't think anyone would show up. party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe so no one would show but the, it makes you think like was ellen gonna be that person who was like oh i'm fine oh by the way i have a 147 trillion dollar house in montecito i'll just have people come over and stay we'll be far enough away from each other it won't be a big deal and then it ends up turning a big deal like what if she has to be the one who tells the sound intern right at her show that like sorry i got you sick with yeah COVID. hey when i screamed in your face um that was probably <laughs> you probably want to get a test just to make sure uh just like i'm sorry yeah uh, now her that she has to go apologize to her staff all over again if that's the case yeah oh man poor ellen uh, she, she, at least she had practice a practice run at her apology exactly. earlier this it summer, gets easier the more you do it which wasn't super great I, I, I. when we come back we have our weekly wake-up call with none other than the fantastic the intelligent amazing wonderful we are so blessed to have dr john paul higgins join us for our weekly wake-up call i promise you do not want to miss this conversation we'll be right back drop the subject the new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject on Channel Q with Dr. James. Okay, 
I'm just gonna get right into this this interview, this individual we have with us because I am just so excited about it. He's the star of this past summer's Netflix hit, Feel the Beat, Amazon's successful rom-com series that everybody was talking about, Modern Love. Uh, the podcast host of Black Folks with an X, featuring one-on-one conversations with, you guessed it, Black folks across the LGBTQIA spectrum, a big time preeminent voice for the Black Lives Matter movement. And of course, everything that has continued since this summer's amazing uh, uprising, if you will. And the reason he is here today is to talk about being a writer on the huge Netflix hit, Big Mouth, friend of the show, everyone. Welcome, Brandon Kyle Goodman. Hi. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> we are very happy to have you here as well. Thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to join us. Oh, absolutely. For you, anything. Oh, listen to that. <laughs> wow. You see the kind of power I have, Allie Johnson? <laughs> I do. Of course, you know I saw it from the beginning. Oh, see, very Just good. Just adding to the fan club at this point. Uh, right, something like that. Speaking of fan clubs, okay, you had, so it's Friday, you had a piece drop a couple of days ago in Sharp Magazine. This was this whole, like, I don't... I keep wanting to say expose, but it was not an expose. It was just a like, like you were, you weren't necessarily, yeah, you weren't the cover guy, but you should have been, but I don't know. Tell us how that came about. Um, You know, I think the writer had uh, been following me uh, and watching my videos and and knew I was on Big Mouth and with the season coming up, we just wanted to have a conversation and it was a really, I'm really happy with how it came out. I feel like people will think I'm really cool. I think you are really cool, though. But I, I, what you you looked really cool. Those photo shoots was that were that was that like home photo studio? Did your husband take those? Or? Oh, my husband did not. My husband also does not think I'm cool. Even with that sharp magazine, I was hoping he'd finally <laughs> be like, "Wow, you're so cool." <laughs> no, those photos were uh, with Johnny Merlot. You know, with the COVID and all that, uh, I am not really interested in being on everybody's set at <laughs> this moment. So it was just a really special thing that we set up uh, with a lot of safety protocols and did a couple different looks <laughs> so that if uh, if somebody wanted to write about me, I would have some photos for them to use. You know, I want to ask you about being a writer on season four of, of Big Mouth. How, like, take us back a little bit. How, how did this happen? Like, this is amazing. And the show is so huge right now. Um, I became a writer on the show because I was working on a pilot, young, you know, just like aspiring writer myself, worked on a little pilot uh, just about me and Black queerness uh, and they read it and they were looking for that voice in the room mm. uh, and I had an interview with them and it went really well and so they brought me in and it was definitely a learning curve because it's my first writing job my first time uh, writing in a room um, and all that stuff and so there was just a lot of uh, there was a definitely a learning curve to <laughs> overcome but what I'm so blessed is that room is just filled with such loving, kind, uh, vulnerable, open people. Uh, and so they really, really held me, held me up, if you will, until I mm. was able to walk on my own two feet, if you will. It's kind of interesting because I was watching some of the clips of, of you know, the jokes that were made um, and the story that's told in in Big Mouth for the trans character. And you, it's, it's so interesting to touch something done that beautifully because it makes it look so easy to incorporate mm. it into into life and just being like, of course, of course, this is what it is. Right. But why does it seem so difficult at first? Like, well, how are we going to introduce this without offending anybody? Or how are we going to like, you know, give this representation the, the, the story that it deserves? And 
I'm just curious as to how you arrived at that storyline and, and whether it was an easy journey or, you know, how, how many conversations were had in the writer's room to arrive at what ended up on the screen because it just looks so effortless. There are many conversations and I think why people are um, hesitant to uh, try and talk about uh, queerness or transness or blackness is because those people aren't in the room. Uh, and so mm. when they wanted to introduce a trans character, they made sure that we had Patty Harrison, who was in the room, who was pivotal and instrumental in like making sure that we had an authentic portrayal of Natalie and that, you know, we were, we also had um, one of our animators is trans and came and spoke. Some other people from different organizations came and spoke to us. And so, you know, obviously you have some of us who are in the room who are queer, who are already going to be like, wait now, but then also having trans people in the room as well to make sure that the story was represented and that we weren't, uh, that we were able to explore the subject of transness inside of puberty, but without kid gloves, do you know, like mm -hmm. that, that, it could, that we could really dive deep into it, be respectful, but also authentic. Um, and I think that's, it works because we had people in the room that identified that way uh, to share their experience as opposed to, again, what always happens is like, it's a room of white dudes writing things that they know nothing about. And that's where you get in trouble. Yep, absolutely. Well, and I mean, what, what a novel concept, like have queer folks and people of color and black folks and trans folks in the room, particularly when you're writing about those people in yes. your, in your plot lines, like, it seems like it, it wouldn't be such a, a big deal, but, but it is. And for those of you deal. who who may not have seen, uh, you know, season four of Big Mouth yet, now I don't want to give away too much, but there's a character there, Natalie, who has been in previous seasons, but has transitioned now. And I'll leave it there. Yes, this is her wanna... first season, but she was she's been they go to camp and she's mm -hmm. been at that camp before. And this is her first summer um, as Natalie. Ah, very good. I like that. Okay, we have um, a lot more because I have a lot more questions um, for you about everything going on in your life as well as being a writer in the writies, writies, writies room. Writies room, I like writies it. Room. Writies being room. a writer in the writies is room. Is there a lefties room? <laughs> Separate <laughs> on Perfect. Uh, Left-handed yeah. and right-handedness. <laughs> oh, they talk a lot about what you do with your hands on Big Mouth if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Have no one bumps elbows. It's great. <laughs> right. Uh, more with Brandon Kyle Goodman after this. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject on Channel Q. We are here with Brandon Kyle Goodman, fabulosity personified. That's I'm just going to say <laughs> that right then and there. Especially after this, I was I'm really tripping about this photo. Those photos that you had in your Sharp Magazine uh, piece that we talked about um, earlier on were just fantastic. But we are here to talk to you about being a writer in 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 the righties room, not the lefties room, <laughs> on yes. Big Mouth on Netflix. And you said something, you know, earlier on, Brandon, that really struck a chord with me about how, you know, specifically we were talking about Natalie, who is a trans character on the show, but about talking about her trans experience with the kid gloves off. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Big Mouth does everything with the kids gloves off mm -hmm. and that's got to be a big intimidating experience for this being the first time you're in the righties room how, <laughs> how, did, how did that feel coming into the righties room with people like nick kroll and some of the other incredible individuals in there who are just like okay let's make it do what it do like and you seem to have just slid in perfectly 
Yeah, you know, I think that Nick and Andrew and Mark and Jen, who are the creators and EPs, do a really good job. I mean, that's the first thing I noticed when I walked in. They do a really good job of creating a, a safe environment. And so they are really, really specific about who's in that room and the kinds of people that are in that room. Because, you know, you don't you don't want people being dicks in the room. You right, want people right. who are going to be sensitive and who are still funny and talented, but also who have open heart spaces. And so I think it's really about the types of people that our showrunner and our EPs have brought together, which makes it a comfortable space to examine all of these uh, necessary parts of puberty and of being a person. Uh, and sometimes it gets really heavy and you just want to know that when you go into those heavy spaces, I mean, what you guys see are real fun, laughy, happy moments. But in order to get to those comedic moments, we do have to dig into some deeper, darker things. And you want to know that you're in a room with people who can hold you, hold space for that, mm -hmm. uh, which is definitely true for us, which I'm grateful for. Has there been a moment of growing pains where there was one rando dick? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where it's like, oh, no. And because oh. that can really bring everything to a grinding halt. And then how do you if you did run into that situation, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you say, OK, this person is not understanding or, you know, they're, they're short sighted or they're tunnel vision and they're not able to. It's hard to collaborate with somebody like that. So have you run into that? And what did you do? Uh, we, I have not run into that. Definitely not at Big Mouth. Uh, oh, that's but good. what I would say is if it did happen, our uh, showrunner and our EPs are so emotionally attuned to that stuff that I think that they would just like remove the person or like talk to the person first because the moment the, the space feels unsafe, it, the whole, you can you can feel it. Uh, and so you have to fix it. Uh, and that's up to the, you know, the leaders of whatever show to make sure that they maintain that safe space. But luckily for us, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. I also entered season four. So like they know what they're doing. Yeah, they've got uh, it under control. Yeah, they've what, got it under control. What about the response? How's the response been? Have you had people reach out, um, you know, saying thank you? I feel finally like, I mean, that that moment where you feel like, your conversation is actually being your story is being told or there's actually a piece of you on the screen that you have never seen before. I am sure that moment for, um, you know, for a lot of queer people, especially people who are in the process of transitioning, it can feel amazing to see that. Have you had people reach out? Yeah, there's been a lot of um, reaching out, a lot of great stuff on Twitter and on Instagram and DMs. You know, I think people feel really seen by Natalie and they also feel really seen by Missy this season. You know, Missy had a, a code switching episode and just like discovering what her blackness is. And especially in 2020, when we are really reckoning with race, I think a lot of people felt seen and like grateful. I mean, Missy changes her hair. We had no idea, you know, that 2020 was going to happen because we wrote this in 2019. So when we were we're making that progression for her, we didn't realize how important it would be this year. Mm -hmm. Same with Natalie, you know, it's a story that the, that the EPs wanted to tell and we wanted to tell, but no idea that, especially in 2020, how important that would be. Uh, and so it's felt really good to see it and to have people receive it and feel like it resonates and feel like a part of their, specifically being trans and being Black, that those pieces of puberty are being talked about mm -hmm. as well, because I believe that uh, speaking as a black a black person, like that is a part of my puberty as well. Race is a is a major part of uh, of my fourteen, fifteen, and formidable formidable 
Formidable? What's the word? Formative? Formative. Hey. (laughs) Yes. Formative formative years. We did it. (laughs) We did it. We found it. We got Um, there. Y'all took me there, by the way, on this code switching. Uh, It it goes over multiple episodes, but uh, y'all really took me there as as a biracial Black man from Nebraska. Yeah. Whoa. There was all, I mean, I was like, man, this, I didn't know that watching Big Mouth on Netflix would dig up some trauma that I was going right? to need to like work through with all this and then do it in song. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole code switching song yes. was pretty, yes. pretty phenomenal. Um, Brandon K. Good on yeah. Twitter and IG. Did I get him right? Yes, you got yes. right. And I'm on TikTok. I don't do nothing on there, but I am. I know. <laughs> None of us do. That's because we're all over the age of 19. All right, Brandon, thank you so much for being with us. We really, really appreciate your time. And we have more Drop the Subject. I promise you, no more than two minutes of commercials. We'll be right back. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Drop the Subject with Dr. James channel q we're no longer the new channel q that was fun to say for a long time but we're not new anymore we've been around more than two years and you love us please do not forget you are listening to this show live or maybe you're listening to it as a podcast for those of you who did not know that you can download this as a podcast wherever you get the your podcasts for right now go search drop the subject and download it as a podcast in the future, we might have a new name. I don't know. It's kind of fun and amazing. And this is a, a really fantastic opportunity for uh, me to get to host a show and talk about health and have a really great conversation with y'all, with my pal, Allie Johnson. And one of the most important things that I want everyone to know about this, whether you're listening at, on the podcast or live on Channel Q or both, which would be great is that I want this to be about you. This is a conversation about you. And so I want to know your questions. So hit me up in my DMs. My DMs are open at AskTheNP on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We'll have some sort of social media for this show soon. But in the meantime, send me your questions. I will get to as many as we can. And uh, we're going to answer those in at least one segment, maybe two, maybe three every show. Um, And Allie has our first listener questions. Okay. So this uh, this is coming from Instagram at DTS show. If you're not following, please do. Um, and again, yes, this is a working title. Could change at any moment. So for now, that's where title. you can direct your questions or at Ask the NP. Um, someone wanted to know, James, as a nurse, do you agree with the second restaurant shutdown? The shutdown has been very sweeping and there are a lot of restaurant owners, uh, salon owners, and many, many more who are really upset with the second lockdown. Do you feel that this was the right move? And what would be a good alternative? Oh, boy. So in particular, you know, I can really only speak to, I guess, like L.A. County, where where I am right now, because I'm super familiar with those numbers and, and all of that. I think at this point, the public health officials' hands were tied and they had to shut down the restaurants. I think in retrospect, I wish that we could have done some other things beforehand to not shut the restaurants down, because while there's some pretty good data out there that there is spread in some restaurants, it's not most restaurants. It's the restaurants that were not following the rules. The problem was there's not enough people to enforce to make sure that the restaurants were following the rules. So by rules, I mean keeping people distant, everything being outside. What was happening is some of these restaurants were serving food or alcohol or bars were serving food. Tables were crowded. They were allowing a lot of people to be in. People weren't wearing masks because they were outside. And then everyone was just standing around chatting with each other like it was a bar and yelling and screaming over music and whatever. And 
too. Yeah, yeah, it happened a lot. And so because certain restaurants, it's always somebody spoiling it for everybody else, right? So if, because certain restaurants weren't following those rules and the cases are going up so fast, I think officials had to shut it down. I don't love it. I think on the whole, if restaurants were following the rules, it was not really a big source of spread. Well, and the and we can move on. I know we have to move on to another question, but there wasn't it didn't seem like anything was being enforced. It was Mm -hmm. just kind of like, here are the guidelines. And then every restaurant that I went to had a whole different set of rules or a whole different way that they were handling it. Or, you know, some of them you could be in the bar, but there was only two people in the bar at a time. And then. There were some people that was like only closed beverage. It was just very strange and it was yep. all over the place, which was frustrating. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Someone said, if I get the vaccine, can I immediately start making out with everyone around me? <laughs> as fun as that sounds, no. I knew Once, what you were going to say. That. You're like, damn it, James. Once everybody gets the vaccine, probably this time next year, I will re- release the hounds and off you go making out with everyone you want to. We What we don't know yet is how long this uh, immunity is going to last from this vaccine. Remember, the vaccine is going to be two doses, by the way. So after you get your second dose, probably going to last a year. We're probably all going to have to go back into the cycle of getting vaccinated every year. And what we know is it prevents you from getting sick. What we don't know is, will you have a large viral presence in your body if you get it? So let's say I get the vaccine. I come across someone who, who has COVID. They cough all over me. I don't get sick from them giving me COVID, but because of the vaccine, right? Hooray. But what we don't know is, do I still generate a whole bunch of COVID virus? And then I'm super contagious to everybody else. We don't oh. know that yet with the vaccine. So the vaccine is going to protect spreading you. It even if you've got it. Right. Well, we, th- we don't know. And so because we don't know that, we have to tell everybody, you can get the vaccine, it's going to protect you, but we're not sure if it's going to protect everybody else if you mess around and get COVID. That makes sense? So you're not just like a superhuman who can walk around and cough on everything because you have a vaccine. No, no. yeah. So you still got to wear your mask, you still got to wash your hands, stay away from everybody, all that stuff. Final question from me personally. I've gotten a couple of tests since we last saw each other, uh, a couple of different ones, different rapid tests. What is the difference between the nostril length that they have to shove into you? Because the first one that I got, they shoved it pretty much up to my brain stem. Pain, yeah. And it was so uncomfortable. And then the second one I got, she just did a little like around the rim. Kind of was like mm. a nose rim job. So mm-hmm. what, what's the mm-hmm. difference in how they test in the nostril protrusion? Easiest explanation is it's like a car. So a Ford and a Chevy are both cars, but they're different types of cars. And so the test that they needed to go, we call it the brain tickler, where they go in that far and twirl a whirl, requires that amount of depth, probably because it's a less sensitive test. And you that's where most of the virus is, way up in your sinuses, way up in your nose like that. So you got to get way up there to test and make sure there's some there. If you have a test that's a little bit more sensitive and can pick up a smaller amount of virus that might be lower down in your nostrils, that's why they just sweep around there. Or like the ones that they're using here in LA County are the swabs in your mouth. You just swab your mouth for like 30 seconds and it can pick it up there. So it really is sort of like what kind of car are you driving depends on how you got to administer the test. Hmm. Well, I'm sure many, many more questions will pile in. And I will have more nostril or not nostril related questions for you. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Allie Johnson. And again, uh, please get at me, us, at Ask the NP, at DTS Show. We thank you so much for listening. We have lots more to come. We're doing this every single week. Allie Johnson, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having um, me. 
Of course, we thank uh, Dr. John Paul and Brandon Kyle Goodman. Again, if you uh, missed some of the live show, please download this as a podcast at DTS Show, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, we will see you later. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q.